All right, everyone, and an incredible schos to be able to learn with all of you today. Um, with your permission, and the great part about being Zoom is I can't even see if you don't give me your permission or not, um, is I'd like to spend a week on Hanukkah. Last week we spoke about Hanukkah, but the truth is with a significant Tehillim tie-in. Emirat Hashem, for today I'd like to really be able to focus a bit more exclusively on Hanukkah, although like... The amazing thing that once you begin to learn Sefer Tehillim, so you realize that it is almost impossible to learn any topic in Torah without somehow referencing some aspect, some pasuk, some dynamic from Sefer Tehillim. Samir Hashem, today will be no exception to that, and we will we will begin to see a little bit of Tehillim as well. But I'd like to really focus on trying to discover a little bit of the essence of Hanukkah. You know, I, I referenced this a little bit last week. That in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, we have no shortage of miracles. And so every day there are miracles to commemorate. There are the miracles we know about, the mundane miracles, there are the everyday miracles, there are the supernatural miracles. And so often Hanukkah becomes very much a focus on the miracle of the Pach Shem and the miracle of the cruise of oil. But again, as we pointed out in last week's shear, although that is a dramatic miracle, one can make the argument that there are even greater miracles than that, and yet we don't commemorate those miracles. So obviously the whole, the whole idea of the Pach Shem and the whole idea of a little bit of oil that burned for eight days is supposed to draw our attention to something bigger, to something more dynamic, to help us really try to figure out what is the core avoda of Hanukkah. So I want to draw your attention to what I think is an incredible dynamic. If you take a look at number one on your sheet, so the Torah says over here, my time at Dirav, without getting into the whole the whole discussion here, the Gemara discusses Kasavar Asr Laura. There's an interesting dynamic of Ne'er Hanukkah, you know. I, I think I mention this every year. Sometimes when we imagine like the the, the most beautiful imagery of a hadlaka, it's that in Meretz Hashem there's a mishpacha gathered together, you know, by the menorah, and the lights are out, and a little bit of light comes from menorah illuminating the dark room, and it sounds so beautiful. There's only one problem is that it's Aser. You're not allowed to do that. Why aren't you allowed to do that? Because you're not allowed to get benefit from the Neiros Hanukkah. So in fact, your menorah must be lit in a well-illuminated room. You're not permitted to get any level of benefit. You're not permitted to learn by the Neiros. I mean, you can learn by the Hanukkah candles if you'd like, but you can't rely on those candles for light. You could go ahead and make your brachos by the Neiros Hanukkah, eat by the Neiros Hanukkah, but you cannot rely on those candles for light. That's the Gimel says, You are not permitted to go ahead and get any benefit, any usage from the Neiros Hanukkah. Now, this is intriguing because if you look at number two, the Gemara says, Amra b'chiyabar ashi amarav, Hamadlik ner shalchanaka, Sarech levarich. So Rav Ashi said in the name of Rav, Rav says that if you kindle your menorah, you have to make a bracha. And Rabbi Yirmiya writes, Haroa ner shalchanaka, Sarech levarich. Rabbi Yirmiya says that in fact, even if you're not lighting an erchanaka, but you're simply looking at an erchanaka, the halacha is, you go in and you make a bracha. Rabbi Yehuda goes on, he says, on the first day you make, the roa makes two brachas, the madlik makes three brachas. I'll explain this in just a moment. Mikan ve'ilech, madlik mevarech shtayim, roa mevarech achas. This is an incredible halacha. The Gemara says that essentially, whether you're lighting the menorah or looking at the menorah, you make brachas. So again, on the first night, if you're lighting the menorah, you'll make three brachas. The bracha of lahadlik ner shalchanaka, sha'asenisim, and Shechianu. Whereas if you're just gazing upon the menorah lights, the, right, the, the neros, the candles, you'll only make two brachos. Obviously, you don't make the bracha of the hadlik ner to kindle the light because you're not kindling. But you'll still make the bracha of Sha'asanisim and Shechianu on the first night. And on the subsequent nights of Hanukkah, a person who goes ahead and kindles the menorah will make two brachos. Ultimately, again, the bracha of I'm sorry, the person kindling will make two brachos, the bracha of lahadlik and sha'asanisim, but a person looking at the menorah will only make one bracha of sha'asanisim. And it is here that the Gemara introduces us to a very dramatic concept, namely, that you could make a bracha on ner Hanukkah, on the Hanukkah lights, even if you are not kindling the lights yourself. Now, this is incredibly important, just to frame what Allah is talking about over here. The Gemara is not referring to someone who's in the house where the menorah is being kindled. The Gemara is actually referring to a different type of situation. I'm not home. I'm walking down the street and I walk by your house and I see your menorah in your window. 
The halacha says, the halacha says that I am permitted to make a bracha on your menorah. Incredible, right? So in other words, you lit your menorah in your home. You made the bracha of lahadlik ner to kindle the Hanukkah lamp. You made the bracha of sha'asanisim. I'm walking by your home. I can make a bracha on your light. I can make a bracha on your menorah. I can't make the bracha of lahadlik because I didn't kindle it, but I can make the bracha of sha'asanisim on your menorah. And the Imre Emes, the Ger Rebbe, raises a fascinating question. He says, I'll just tell you this outside. It's source number three, but I'll just say it outside. Says the Imre Emes, we don't find any other mitzvah where I can make a bracha on someone else's performance. Meaning, imagine the following scenario. You're sitting at the Seder. You're sitting at the Seder. You have to eat three kezesim of matzah. So it's a lot of matzah. How wonderful would it be is you turn to the person saying, I say, you know what? I'm going to be Yotze with you. Do me a favor. You eat the matzah. I'm going to watch you eat the matzah. And we'll call it even. Right? We'll call it even. Give out the coup wouldn't sign up for that. Right? At least after that, I'll, I'll eat one gezayas. I'm happy to watch someone else eat the other two kezayasim. Says the mirror, we, we don't find this. Or sitting in the sukkah. It's a hot day or very cold day. I say to my friend, you know what? You go into the sukkah. I'm going to sit in my dining room, but I'm going to look out the window and I'm going to watch you perform the mitzvah and I'll make the bracha on your performance. Says the Imriyamis, we don't find this in any other area of halacha except Ner Hanukkah. Except Ner Hanukkah. Ner Hanukkah is the only mitzvah where there is this concept that one person could do the actual hadlaka and I, the onlooker, can make a bracha on your mitzvah. So again, you're in your home lighting your menorah. I walk by on the street. I see your menorah. I can make a bracha on your hadlaka. Now, the truth is, on, on a practical level, the halacha indicates that if I'm going to be home and I could go ahead and light my own menorah, of course, I don't rely on making a bracha on yours. But what I do want to point out is, let's say for some reason, a person is not going to be able to go ahead and light their own menorah for whatever the reason. The Gemara actually says that I could discharge my obligation at least somewhat by making a bracha on your hadlaka. So again, the Imre Emma says, why does Ner Hanukkah have this dynamic? Nowhere else in halacha, nowhere else in halacha do we find a concept that one person could perform a mitzvah and another person can make a bracha on someone else's performance. The only exception to this is Ner Hanukkah. Writes the Imre MS at the end of number three. Look at this last line. Vahainu Taima. What's the reason for this? And this is actually quite a beautiful wording. Ki ikr shal the MRMS, his wording here is incredibly cryptic, but incredibly beautiful. He says, because the entire essence of Ner Hanukkah is to open the eyes of the blind who walk in darkness. Listen to these words. The entire essence of Ner Hanukkah is to open the eyes of the blind who walk in darkness. And therefore, says the Svasames, if I'm passing by your home, you lit your menorah, I walk by your window, I see your menorah, because I can see your light, your light benefits me. How does your light benefit me? Because says this Imre Emes, it opens my eyes that have been blinded, and it allows me to go ahead and see the light, although I have been walking in the darkness. An incredibly profound idea. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. We're going to analyze this a little bit more. But I just want to point out just how peculiar Ner Hanak is. You see, the Imre Emes said, we never find a situation where I make a bracha on someone else's performance of the mitzvah. But not only that, it's even more than that. The Rashba in number four, which I'm going to tell you outside, the Rashba asks a more general question, nothing to do with Hanukkah. But the Rashba is intrigued by this idea that why is it that some mitzvahs we make brachos on and other mitzvahs we don't make brachos on? For example, I'm about to go, I know I take my lulav and esrog, I make a bracha. I light my ner Hanukkah, I make a bracha. I go ahead and, you know, light Shabbos candles, I make a bracha. But yet, interestingly enough, if I'm about to put a dollar in the tzedakah box, I don't make a bracha, right? A person comes to my home collecting for tzedakah, I'm about to give them money, I don't make a bracha. I'm about to honor my parents, kibbutz avaim, which is such an important mitzvah. 
I don't make a bracha. I'm about to lend someone money, which is a mitzvah. I don't make a bracha. So Sa asks the Rashba, why is there some brachas I make, some mitzvahs I make brachas, other mitzvahs I don't make brachas. And he says something amazing. He says, it's very simple. The only time you make a bracha is when you have the ability to fulfill the mitzvah on your own. In other words, when the performance of the mitzvah is not dependent on anyone else, I hold all of the pieces, I control everything, that's when I make a bracha. But if, if the performance of a mitzvah is predicated on someone else's compliance, I don't make a bracha. So for example, if I'm about to give Ruvain tzedakah, I can't make a bracha on that act. Why? Because Ruvain might say, no thank you. I'm about to honor my parents. I can't make a bracha on that act. Why? Because a parent has the right to be mochel, has the right to go out and forgive their covet. So this is incredible. So now the Rashba says, the only time we ever make a bracha is when you hold all of the cards, right? You hold all of the pieces, you hold all of the keys. When the performance of the mitzvah is not predicated on anyone else's participation or compliance, you control the process, that's when you can make a bracha. But if you don't control the process, you don't make a bracha, which just amplifies the question even more. So now it's Hanukkah night. Tonight's going to be Emir Hashem Mishatov the seventh night of Hanukkah. I walk by your home. I see your beautiful menorah burning. For whatever the reason, I'm not going to be able to light that night. I can make a bracha. I could stand in front of your window. I could stand in front of your window and say brachas. I could say sha'asa nisim bayamim ha'heim bazmanazeh. And if I did it on the first night, I could say a shachiyonu on that as well. And the question, of course, becomes, Akimari says, why? Why? It flies in the face of the way brachos work. Brach, you only make a bracha on the mitzvah when you control the process. Here, not only am I not controlling the process of the mitzvah, but what? I'm not even actively performing the mitzvah. I'm looking at something that you have done and making a bracha on your action. So again comes the Imre MS and says, no, Hanukkah is different. Why is Hanukkah different? Because the entire point of the light, the entire point of the candles, the entire point of the nace, the entire point of the menorah says, the Imre Emes, lefakeach eneha ivrim, to give sight, to open up the eyes of the blind, ha-holchem who walk in the darkness. So what the Imre Emes is telling us on a basic level is that the entire mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah is to provide light to open up our eyes. To open up our eyes. Somehow many of us walk through life and we're blind. Many of us walk through life and we're shrouded, right? We're enveloped by darkness. The goal of Ner Hanukkah is to dispel the darkness, open our eyes, cast away the blindness, and allow us to see. What does this mean? So let's explore this in a, in a little bit greater depth. Actually, if you take a look at number seven, take a look at number seven, so the Belzerebbe echoes the same idea. You find this a lot in Hasidic literature, that this is the idea of Ner Hanukkah, to open, to, to open up the eyes of the blind who walk in the darkness. The Belzerebbe writes in number six, just through looking at the Hanukkah candles, just by looking at the candles, this is incredible, just by looking at the candles, you wash away all of the schmutz that accumulates on the neshama. You purify the neshama from any type of pigam, from any impurity, from any uncleanliness, and dirt, spiritual dirt. And a person could transform themselves literally into a brand new creation. Now again, what I want to point out over here, according to the Sasemes, excuse me, according to the Belzerebbe, how are you accomplishing this? Just by looking at the candles. A person takes the time to look at the candles of the menorah. You understand what's happening over here. I'm sorry, I, I owe you an apology because we're not learning this until the sixth day of Hanukkah. The truth is this, is, this should have been the sheer era of Hanukkah last week. Just by sitting and looking at the candles you purify your neshama. Just by sitting and looking at the candles, I remove the layers of dirt, the layers of impurity, the layers of shmutz, the layers of pigam, of lichloch, from my neshama. Just by looking at the candles, I transform myself into a brand new person. Just through looking. I haven't done anything. 
I have, it's not saying if you say these tefillahs, if you say these kapit lachav tefillah, no. Just by looking. Just by looking. Just by looking at the candles, I go ahead, I open my eyes, according to the Imre Emes, I take away the blindness, I dispel the darkness, according to the Belzerebah, I transform myself into a new person, I go ahead and I remove all of the layers of schmutz, of dirt, of impurity, that often sit on top of my heart, sit on top of my soul. And I just want to point out, even before we go on, that this is why it's so important. You know, a lot of times, I think what happens, or what could happen in homes is, you know, you light the Hanukkah candles, everybody stands around, or, you know, if you're privileged to be in a home with other people, so everybody stands around, or even if it's just you yourself, you light the Ner Hanukkah, and then what, what happens after you finish? You kind of go about your business. You go about your business. It is very important to spend time with the Neros Hanukkah, to spend time sitting and looking at the Neros. Just because you see the power of just gazing upon the Neros. Now, let's develop this a little bit more. Rabbi Soloveitchik points out something quite fascinating. If you take a look at number seven on your sheet, so the Torah in Shmos says as follows, So Rabbi Soloveitchik makes a fascinating observation. And the Rav says, that in the Beis HaMikdash, well, first in the Mishkan, then later on in the Beis HaMikdash, there were two services that were, that were performed at the same time, right? Remember again, the, the, the Kohen would walk into what's called the Kodesh. The Kodesh is a structure. Inside of that structure, there was an antechamber. Inside of that structure, that's where you had the Shulchan, right? The table that housed all the showbread, the menorah, the Mizbeach Hazav, the golden altar, which was a much smaller altar only used for incense offering. If you kept walking further, you'd hit a curtain. That curtain divides between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, called the Parochas. If you'd go in between that curtain, behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, in which was the Aron Habris, the Ark of the Covenant. So that, that's the layout of, of the Beis HaMikdash, or of the Mishkan. So the Rav makes it, the, the Torah says that there were two things that were done at the same time. Aaron would go into the Kodesh, he would go into the structure, and what would he do? He would go ahead and kindle the Ketores, kindle the incense, and light the menorah. And light the menorah. And Rabbi Soloveitchik makes an amazing observation in number eight. He says, at the exact time of the Hadlakas Neros in the temple, the incense burned on the altar. So at the exact time that Aaron was kindling the menorah, the Ketores was burning, the incense was burning as well. The vapor... The cloud of smoke rises and saturates the air in the sanctuary. The lights can hardly shine brightly since they have to penetrate the haze. One sees the neros but cannot make use of them. The sanctuary is illuminated because of an impenetrable pillar of incense vapor. One perceives the light but does not enjoy it. So this is incredible. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, The menorah was never a light of illumination. It was never there to actually really provide illumination, to provide light. Why? Because when the menorah was kindled, the smoke of the incense, the smoke of the ketores, filled the kodesh. So where there's smoke, remember again, smoke prevents light from spreading. So Salvechik says something absolutely amazing. You would have thought that if there were two services that you would dafka separate, it would have been the ketores, the incense, and the kindling of the menorah. Because after all, remember again, the kindling of the, or the, the, the burning of the incense obscures the light of the menorah. And says Rabbi Salavechik, that's exactly the point. The point is these two services were combined. Why? Because one perceives the light. So in other words, you could see that the menorah was kindled, but at the end of the day, the light of the menorah wasn't really usable. And Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, this was by design. He quotes, here, see, Telem Shir, we have a Pasuk from Telem in number 9. Ner sivasi. So David HaMalach writes, literally, your word is a ner, is a lamp to my feet, sivasi, and a light for my path. So once again, Rabbi Soloveitchik points out in number 10. He points out the idea that David HaMalach makes reference to two different forms of light. There's a ner and there's ar. Ner and ar. Ner meaning uh, literally, uh, he translates over as, as, as a lamp or as a candle and ar light. Writes Rabbi Soloveitchik in number 10. The symbolism of the ner, the candle, is in general a double one. 
The psalmist said, he quotes that passage from Tilim, first, the nair is a lamp that illuminates and makes things visible. Second, it is a guide in the darkness, but does not dissipate the darkness. The sun illuminates. A remo- the sun illuminates. A remote star neither illuminates nor shines. However, it does guide. The star may be a thousand times bigger and more brilliant than the sun. Yet it does not shine because of the enormous distance separating the star from us. It twinkles from a mysterious far horizon, winks to us, and tells us something we don't understand. In other words, a candle is at times the symbol of a bright light. At other times, it is a symbol of remoteness, of unlimited stretches, of guidance from afar. Ner Hanukkah is a light of the latter kind. It is not to illuminate but to address itself to us from the vast dark spaces, to tell us to move along invisible paths. So I'll, I'll illustrate this kind of by contrasting two lights. If you think about for a moment the difference between Ner Shabbos and Ner Hanukkah. Ner Shabbos, what's the point of Shabbos candles? So, you know, for us, we forget about this a little bit in the age of, of electricity, of artificial light. But what's the point of Ner Hanukkah? Ner Hanukkah is a light of, excuse me, Ner Shabbos. Shabbos candles are there to illuminate. In other words, you are actually supposed to use the light of your Ner Shabbos. You are supposed to get benefit from the light of your Ner Shabbos. Those lights are there to actively provide illumination. So Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, there are really two different types of light. There's the Ner Liragli, Va'ar Linasivasi. Right? The Ner Liragli, that's the light that dissipates the darkness. Right? That's the light that drives it. So I can see exactly where I'm walking. Or the Nesivasi is the light for my path. That R, that R, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, is not there for illumination purposes. That R is there to teach me or to communicate to me something else. Now, what this something else is, we'll have to see. But to Rabbi Soloveitchik points out, and this is really an incredible idea just based on the Pasuk in Chumash, the fact that the Kohen Gadol was told to go ahead and offer the Ketores at the same time, and then afterwards illuminate the menorah, obscures the light of the menorah, which tells us that the light of the menorah is not there for illumination purposes. The light of the menorah is not the sun. You know, Shabbos candles are like the sun. Shabbos candles are there to give light. The light of the menorah was not there ultimately, again, to be brilliant, luminescent like the sun. As Rabbi Soloveitchik says, it twinkles mysterious far horizon, from a far, from mysterious far horizon, winks to us and tells us something we don't understand. That ultimately, again, the Ner Hanukkah is the light not to illuminate, but to address itself to us from the vast dark spaces to tell us to move along invisible paths. You know, if you think about this for just a moment, if you're ever outdoors on a beautiful starry night, right? How do you feel? How do you feel? You feel that like there is something so much bigger in the universe than me. There's something so much bigger out there that I don't even really fully understand. Says the Rav so beautifully that Nechanika is that distant star that twinkles at us, It's that winks at us, to use his wording. It's that distant star that tells us there's something so much bigger in this world. Look what Rabbi Soloveitchik writes at number 11. He says, Ner Hanukkah represents not the sun, the light which clears the darkness away and sheds a bright light over our earth, but rather, but a remote star whose beam of light does not dissipate the darkness. From the darkness... A mysterious world twinkles and addresses itself to us. If we were to use the light of the Ner Hanukkah, it would not satisfy our curiosity. We would turn it into an illuminating light, a harvest moon, instead of a distant light that announces something mysterious without furnishing us the clue to solve that mystery. So this is really an incredibly dramatic and beautiful idea, but it requires clarification. Shabbat Salavichik tells us, that the Ner Hanukkah is not a light of illumination. Shabbos candles are a light of illumination. The Ner Hanukkah ultimately, again, is this mysterious light that twinkles at us from a distance. A light that tells us there is so much more to life 
there is so much more to us than we even perceive. You see, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, if we were allowed to use the Ner Hanukkah, then what would happen? Then what would happen? We would turn it into a light of illumination and it becomes a utilitarian light. It becomes like any other light. Tell me, when you walk into your dining room and you turn on your light, do you say, wow, that light inspires me. That light really tells me there must be something much greater in this universe. No, what do you say? Well, if you like your chandelier, you could say, oh, beautiful. you know what? It was a good purchase. Good return on investment with that chandelier. It's beautiful. It's magnificent, depending, you know, if you're Hungarian or if you're German or if you're Polish, that, that, that will determine the nature of your chandelier, right? It highlights your family origins as well. And then, but, but no one gets inspired by it. You might like the beauty. You might enjoy it. You might enjoy the illumination, but no one goes ahead and gets inspired because that's a utilitarian light. Even Shabbos candles, right? Shabbos candles are actually an inspirational light. But I think that's very often because for many of us, we actually don't view Shabbos candles as utilitarian light. We don't view Shabbos candles as the sun. But again, in Shabbos candles in their original form, we're there to provide light. They're utilitarian. Says the Rav, if the Hanukkah candles, if we were allowed to use them, they would just become another chandelier. They would just become another candelabra. But that's not what Chazal wanted. That's it's not even what Chazal, it's not what the Ribbon Sha'olam wanted. The fact that the Ribbon Sha'olam says, I want you to kindle the menorah after you do the Ketoras, so that the smoke of the Ketoras obscures the light of the, the menorah, tells us that the menorah is a mysterious light. The menorah is not the sun. The menorah is not even the moon. The menorah are the stars in the distance that twinkle in the night sky that remind us that there is something much greater, something much bigger out there. But not just something much bigger, much greater out there. Reminds that there's something much bigger, much greater in here, inside of me, inside of my heart, inside of my soul. So let's further refine the Rav's message just a little bit more. You know, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, it's not by accident that the first thing that the Rebbe Sholom made was light. Right? The Pasuk says in number 12, So ultimately, again, the Torah tells us that one of the first things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made was light. And he saw the light was good. So the Gemara in number 13, the Meseches Chagiga, makes an amazing observation. The Gemara says, The Amr Abelazar, Or Shebar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Rishon, Adam Tsofe Bomi Sofa Olam Viat Sofo. So the Gemara makes an amazing observation. But Allah just says, the light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created on the first day was so powerful that a person could literally see from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And when Hashem saw the generation of the flood, the generation of the Tower of Babel, the generation of dispersion, and He saw how terrible their deeds would be, Amad Vigan HaKadosh Baruch Hu took the original light out of the world and he hid it away. Who did he hide it away for? Ultimately, again, for the righteous in the future, whether that future ultimately is the Messianic era or that future is Olam Haba, the afterlife, whatever it is. But the point over here that you see from the Gemara is that there was a beautiful light in this world at the beginning of time. But not just the simple light, not just the simple light, because remember again, what does it mean that a person could go ahead and see from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. What does that mean? That's not simply a light of illumination. And, and first of all, is that even, is that even, first of all, again, we're pretty certain the world is round. So even to be able to see from one end of the earth to the other, what does that mean? How, how, how is that possible? So we understand on a deeper level, the ability to see from one end of the earth to the other is not literal but rather it's metaphoric. Or to understand that a little bit differently, a little bit differently, the original light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created in this world was not simply a light of illumination. It was a light of understanding, a light of comprehension. That the light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world with was a light that not only allowed man to see what was in front of him, but allowed man to see the truth of the world, the truth of the universe, the truth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It wasn't only a light that allowed man to see what was in front of him in this world, but it was a light that allowed man to see what was inside of him as well.
that a person was literally able to see the truth about life, the truth about himself. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu took out that light of clarity. That's what it was. It wasn't simply a light of illumination. It was a light of clarity. And the Ribbono Shel Olam removed that light from this world and he hid it away from the Tzadikim. And isn't this incredible? Because the truth is, what do we struggle with most in life? What do we struggle with most in life? So people think, oh, I struggle with most. I struggle with my kids. I struggle with my Shalom bias. I struggle with Parnassa. I struggle with my diet. Those are all struggles. But the most acute struggle in life is the struggle for clarity. For clarity. What's right and what's wrong? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? Yes, sometimes there's clarity. Sometimes some things I know I should do this, I shouldn't do this. But isn't so much of the challenge of the human condition, so much of the challenge of our daily lives is clarity. What should I do? Where should I go? What should I be? What opportunities should I take advantage of? And what should I just let go by the side? Who should I be? Who is the real me? What is my tachlis? What is my purpose in this world? So isn't it incredible that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, He created it with a light that was not only a light of illumination, but that was a light of clarity, a light of understanding. But then the Ribbono Sholem took that light out of this world. He removed it. He removed it. And ultimately, again, set it aside for the tzaddikim in the future. Future of the afterlife, future of Messianic era, whatever future it is. Now, I tell you something absolutely amazing. What you see, what you see is that this light surfaces every once in a while. In fact, if you take a look, if you take a look at number 17, I'm going a little bit out of order just for a moment, right? Reb Tzaddik says, Reb Tzaddik says, you know where this light comes up? The Gemara says, The Gemara says, the Gemara says, I'm just skipping. There's a Gemara says that when a child is in utero, listen to this imagery. When a child is in utero, so the baby, of course, is learning. We know the Gemara says with a malach, with an angel. There's a candle lit inside of the womb of the mother. Obviously metaphoric. And that light allows the baby to see from one end of the world to the other end of the world. That's what Abtadik writes. So what he says, Vuhu, I'm in the last line of number 17, Vuhu Kimo, or Shinivra Biyom Harishon. The light that a baby has in utero is the light that was in this world on the first day. Because what's amazing about the in utero experience, there's clarity. Now we forget that clarity as soon as we emerge into this world. But for that gestational period where the child is developing inside of the mother, where the child is still close connected to the Ribbono Shel Olam, where the child is learning with a Malach, the child has that candle that provides a light that allows the baby to see from one end of the world to the other end of the world. In other words, that in utero, there's absolute clarity. Isn't that incredible? See, we often look at a baby as so helpless, as a baby as of lacking any type of real working knowledge of how the world works. And isn't it the irony of ironies that our children in utero have greater clarity in life than we who have been living in this world for decades. They have that R, that original light of Bereshis, that original light of Vayar Lekimah Kitov, the Kitov light, the light not simply of luminescence, but the light of clarity. They come into this world, I come into this world, that light is removed from me and hopefully I get it back after 120. When else do you see this light? The Degel Machane Ephraim in number 18 writes, he says, When else can you access the light of clarity? Says the Baal Tov HaKadosh quoted by Islam Degel Machane Ephraim when you learn Torah. When I learn, and we know this, when you engage, and it's not, when I, remember, we saw this many times, whenever we speak about learning, so learning never simply means just sitting in front of an open safer. Learning means active engagement in spiritual development. When you are learning, when you are engaged in Torah in one form or another, you have clarity. We know this. We know this from our own lives, right? How do you feel when you come out of a shear and that you learn something, you develop your spiritual horizons, or when you actively learn from a safer, when you learn, how do you feel after that experience? You feel like you have clarity in life. You feel like, you know what? 
I, I've got this figured out. I, I, I have clarity. Now, of course, the clarity doesn't last long because as soon as I'm then once again re-immersed in the realities of life, often again, things become gray. But for that little bit of time that I am engaged in Torah, I have that light, the light of Bereshus, the light of day one, the light of the fetus, the light of gestation, the light of clarity. I see the world for what it is. So when we're in utero, we have that light. When we're learning Torah, we have that light. And there's one other time when we have this light. I want to show you something absolutely amazing. The Bnei Yisachar writes in number 14, he said, I'll just read it to you outside. Mrs. Shulman, I feel bad. She's always having to go back and forth with putting the sheets uh, back and forth. You don't have to worry. This, I'm just going to say this, Baalpeh. She, so the Bnei Yisachar writes, he quotes Rapinchas of Karetz, who says, Shebesoch neros chanika gam kein tamun ma'ar hagonos shemishtamshin bo tzadikim lasad lavo. So the Bnei Yisachar quotes Rapinchas of Karetz. And Rapinchas Karetz says that the other time you could access this light of my Seberashis this light of the beginning of time, the light of clarity, is Hanukkah. Is Hanukkah. The Neros Hanukkah, the menorah, gives off the light of Bereshis, the light of clarity. And in fact, the Rokeach says something amazing. It's, I'll quote it outside, but he says it in number 60, which is absolutely amazing. He says, you know, the light, the original light of Bereshis, lasted, was in this world for 36 hours. 36 hours. The way he gets that is, it was put into the world. It was put into the world on day. Well, he, whatever. The, how he gets it is actually not all that important. But it was in this world for 36 hours. 36 hours. That, that was the duration. The first light in the Talk of who decided, you know what? I'm taking it out. That's what Hashem Remember again, by the time Adam Arishon comes into this world, that light is gone. That light, that light was here first day. It was in the world for 36 hours, and then the Rebbeinu Shalom took it out. Says the Rokeach something absolutely dramatically amazing. He says 36 is an interesting number. Why? Listen to he says, Lamid vav kineged lamid vav shos v'lamid vav neros. How many candles do we light over the course of Hanukkah? Well, you'll do the math after the shear. It's one plus two plus three plus four, so on and so forth. We light 36 candles over the course of Hanukkah. Says the Rokeach something absolutely amazing. Why 36 candles? So again, we assume why 36 candles? The cruise of oil lasted for eight days. That, 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 the, the cruise of, like remember again, the cruise of oil, the cru, this is why it's so important, the cruise of oil is just, it's, it's, a, it's a miraculous anchor. What it does is it provides us a framework in which to embed the message of Hanukkah. But the message of Hanukkah is much bigger than a cruise of oil. Just like the message of Hanukkah is much bigger than a military victory. And the message of Hanukkah is something so dramatic. Says the Rokeach, the message of Hanukkah, the 36 candles, because the, the light of the menorah is the light of Bereshus. It's the original light. It's the light of the tzaddikim. It's the light of Olam Haba. It's the light of Mashiach. It's the light of the gestational period in utero. It's the light of Torah. 36 candles correspond to the 36 hours that the original light of creation, not a light of, of, simply of illumination, but a light of clarity was here in this world. That says the Belzer Rebbe, the Bnei Yisachar. That says the Rokeach. That's Hanukkah. And now you begin to piece this together a little bit. Because this is what Rabbi Soloveitchik was saying. It's right, the beauty of Hanukkah. We're making shalom. Everybody, everybody's learning together. The Belzer Rebbe, Rabbi Soloveitchik, the Baal Shem right? Everyone's together on the same dramatic theme. And it really all goes back even before the miracle of Hanukkah. This goes back to the Mishkan. Before there was a Hanukkah. Before there was a Beis HaMikdash. Arna calling this told, how do you light the menorah? You light the menorah after you light the ketores, which means that the room is filled with smoke. Now, granted, it's not totally filled, remember, because the ketores would go up in a straight pillar. But that pillar of smoke would obscure the light of the menorah to teach us what? The light of the menorah was not there for its luminescent properties. The light of the menorah is to be a light of understanding, a light of clarity. Light of clarity. Because what happened every single day in the Mishkan and then in the Beis HaMikdash was to bring back into the world, at least for a couple of hours, the light of Bereshus, the original light, 
which was a light of clarity, a light of understanding, a light where you understand you, where you understand what you're supposed to do, where you understand that Kaddish Baruch Hu, where you understand the world, where you understand what your obligation is, what your tafkit is, where you understand with absolute clarity what's right and what's wrong. That was the light of the beginning of time. That's the light we have in utero. That's the light we have, Torah. That's the light that was kindled every single day in the Mishkan and then later on in the Beis HaMikdash. And that, says the Rokeach, is the light that we kindle every night of Hanukkah inside of our homes. A light of clarity. And now we come full circle. Not yet, but t- kind of full circle. This is why the halacha says that what? That halacha, I see not allowed to use the candles. Now we understand why, why can't you use the light of the menorah? It's so beautiful. We'll close all the lights, make it a beautiful picturesque atmosphere. All we have is the light that we're basking in the light of the menorah. It's mamish, beautiful and wonderful can't do that because then I'm transforming it into a light of luminescence. Then I'm transforming it ultimately again into a light, ultimately again a utilitarian light, a light of luminescence and that's not Ner Hanukkah. Ner Hanukkah is there ultimately again to go ahead and provide a light of clarity, a light of understanding. But understanding of what? Understanding of what? And I think herein lies the profundity of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a fascinating yamtiv because on one hand, right, on one hand, Hanukkah is a regular weekday, right? We go, we go through our regular weekday activities, right? We go to work, we do whatever we have to do, we come home, we have the nearest. The whole point of Hanukkah is to take a step back from active life and to think about what are my priorities? What am I doing? How am I living? What's the personality I have created for myself? What is the identity I've concretized for myself? And is it the right one? Am I headed down the right path in life? Am I doing the right things in life? Have I created the right kind of home? Have I created the right kind of mishpacha? Have I created for myself a lifestyle that is conducive to holiness? Do I structure my day in a way that brings me closer to the Ribbono Shalom and brings me closer to myself? Am I living life on all cylinders or am I simply just getting by? And all of this happens when you stare into the light of the menorah. All of this happens when I stare into that light because what I'm doing over here is what's the entire avoda? The entire avoda of Hanukkah is to achieve clarity. Achieve clarity. And when I look into those candles that are the 36 candles of Hanukkah corresponding to the 36 hours, that the first light, that the first light, first light was in this world, that light of clarity, I too am able to partake of that clarity. That's the power of the Nero's Hanukkah. To take a step back in the middle of a dynamic active day, to take a step back and just to look, to take a few moments, not talking, not singing, not anything, just looking and thinking who am I? What am I? What do I want to do when I grow up? Who do I want to be when I grow up? What type of life do I want to establish with for myself? And am I living that type of life that I know I should be living? That is the avoda of Hanukkah. And the way I accomplish that is with the light of clarity of the menorah. That's why you can't use the light. And that's why, and that's why, remember, going all the way back, if I'm walking by your home and I don't have my own menorah, I need to stop and make a bracha on your neros, on your candles. Why? Because on Hanukkah, everyone needs the light of clarity. On Hanukkah, no one could miss out on this most awesome of gifts. So while it's true, general throughout the year, the halacha is, you can't make a bracha on someone else's mitzvah. You can't even make a bracha on a mitzvah that requires someone else's compliance in order for you to fulfill it, the only exception to this rule in Gans Yiddishkeit, in the entirety of Judaism, is Ne'er Hanukkah. Why? Because Chazal felt the need for clarity is so acutely important that even if you don't have your own, make a bracha on someone else's. You know, it, it occurred to me that in Alanisim, in Alanisim, I don't know why this struck me the first time this year, in Alanisim, 
So we say as part of davening, as part of benching. So we say, In the days of Matisiel, the high priest, and his sons, The Greeks came along. What did the Greeks try to do? They tried to get us to forget Torah. So it struck me, you know, then it goes on, they, got, they wanted to get us to transgress. So why does it say that the Greeks tried to get us to forget? Right? Was that the goal, to forget? To transgress, I understand. They wanted us to violate the mitzvahs. They wanted us not to keep or to not perform or to not observe. What do you mean to forget? To forget. You know, Greece represents the influences of the outside world. Sometimes the greatest danger in life is not the commission of Averos. The greatest danger in life is when you forget what you want to be and who you want to be and what you want to accomplish and what you are put here to do, or at least to try to figure that out. That's the power of Greece. We always think that the worst thing you could do is like violate an Avera. I committed a sin. We all sin. We, I'm going to say it. We all sin. The only variable is some of us, you know, are episodic sinners. Some of us are habitual sinners. Some of us are recreational sinners. Some of us are full-time sinners. But we all sin. We all sin. That's not the worst transgression. And that's not even what Greece tries to do. What Greece tries to do is, The greatest avera is when we forget our way. We lose our way. I lose clarity in life. I get so caught up in all of the stuff that's happening around me that I forget to really think about who I want to be, what I want to be, and what I want to accomplish. And this is the essence of Hanukkah. The beautiful gift of Hanukkah is an opportunity to recalibrate, is an opportunity to look into the light of clarity and to ask yourself the difficult questions that none of us really like to ask ourselves. Who am I? What am I? Where am I going? What do I want to accomplish? Who do I need to be? And what do I need to do? To get clarity on those basic yet fundamental life questions. And that is the power of dinner Hanukkah. That is the power of these lights. And that's why the Belzer Rebbe said before, remember, he said those beautiful words, that if you just go ahead... And you stare into the Ner Hanukkah, right? All you need to do, said the Belzer Rebbe, is to go ahead and look into the candles. I quote to you his words. He says, Shaydeha Bata Beneros. All you need to do is look at the candles. Shia Madakis Anira. He goes on, Shotim Umizachin Eshanashamikobagam Lich. All but just by looking at the candles, it washes away all of the negativity. It washes away all of the dirt. It washes away all of the schmutz that accumulates on the Neshama. Vinepach Haadam Libriya Chadosha Mamish. And I become a brand new person, literally. Really? Really? Just by looking at candles, you could become a brand new person? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. But you have to look the right way. You have to fix your gaze on those candles and realize that what you are looking at is no ordinary fire. What you are looking at is the light of clarity. What you are looking at is the light of creation. What you are looking at is the light of gestation. What you are looking at is the life of Torah. And use that light as an opportunity to gain clarity about your life. Because so many of us lead lives without clarity. It happens all the time. Right? We find ourselves doing contradictory things. Right? I espouse a certain set of beliefs, yet my lifestyle doesn't always reflect those beliefs. So it's easy to say, ah, a person's a hypocrite. We're not hypocrites. We're just humans. We're just humans. And a lot of times there's a disconnect between my value system and my lifestyle. There's a disconnect between what I say is important and what I feel is important and how I act and how I behave. That happens. It happens to all of us in different ways. The light of clarity allows us to reconcile those things. What are my values? What are the things I believe in? What are my core what are my core tenets? What are my life aspirations? And how do I begin to make those things a reality? That's the power of the Neros Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a beautiful time where we remember vict- military victories and miracles about oil. But those are only there to draw us in. 
you know, like they say, like they say, like a, like a speaker needs a hook. I don't know. I, I have difficulty with it, but that speaker needs a hook, right? You need like a good joke or a good story. I never personally bought into those things because I just feel that it reduces Torah to a show, to a show. Or maybe I'm just not good at finding good stories or good jokes. I don't know. But you need a hook. You need something to draw people in. Okay, well, I guess that's true because Chazal said it also. You need something to draw people into Hanukkah. So what draws us in? What draws us in is an incredible story about a little jug of water that remained lit for eight days. What draws us in is a story of a, a small band of guerrilla warriors who overcame a mighty army. But that's not the essence of Hanukkah. The essence of Hanukkah is kindling within your home and kindling within your heart the light of clarity. And using that light of clarity to create clarity for yourself and for your life. This is the gift of Hanukkah. This is the miracle of Hanukkah, that for eight days, we have the great ability to introduce the original light, the light of creation into our homes. So we have two nights of Hanukkah left. And these are the nights of Hanukkah where the menorah burns brightest, right? It's beautiful. Night seven, night eight, the menorah is in its full glory. A lot of times in Hanukkah, we're running around to things. Maybe this year, but a little bit less. People aren't running around to things as much. But a lot of times, as I mentioned before, we light and we go. Right? Everything these days is to go. So people also do menorah to go. Right? I light and then I go. I light, I, I light in one room, I go somewhere. Don't light and go. Light, sit, and stare. Light, sit, and stare. And never underestimate the power of gazing into the light of clarity. And understand when you light your menorah, you are kindling the light of creation in your dining room, in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever you light. Take the time to sit with your neros. And take the time to do something that most of us claim we never have time to do. Think. Think. Think about your life. Think about who you are. Think about your relationships with others, with the emotional, with yourself. Think about if you're happy with your life. And if you're happy, great. How can you make it even better? And if you're not happy, how could I engage in course correcting activity to get myself and to get my life on the track that I want it to be on? How do I get things back on the rails? This is the great gift of Hanukkah. Do you know, I don't know, what the real miracle of Hanukkah is? It's not a military victory. It's not a jug of oil. The real miracle of, victor, of, the real miracle of Hanukkah is the miracle of change. Because if I could look at that light of clarity that burns in my dining room, and I could use it to inspire me, and as we saw before, to move away the darkness, to open up my eyes which have been blind for so long, to become the person I am capable of becoming, that is the greatest miracle of all. So I take this opportunity to wish everyone a Freilichen Chanukah, a beautiful conclusion to this magnificent Yom Tov of Light. Maybe Zohar Hashem to take advantage of the R of Bereshus, of the R of the Light of Clarity in our homes for the next two nights. And may that clarity follow us for many days, many weeks, many months, and many years, even when Chanukah comes to a close. Wishing everyone a wonderful day and a Freilichen Chanukah. Of course. Thank you.